welcome, ladies and joins, to The Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we are here to discuss Uncanny X-Men number 174, the October 1983 issue on sale July 12th of 1983. And this one's titled Romances. Take your chances, modern romances. Remember everything that you've learned. Adam, do you know what this issue is missing on the very top? Do I know what the issue is missing on the very top? Oh, the Marvel Comics thing? There's no more Marvel Comics group. You know how I knew that? Because at the back of this issue, there is an ad about that. Yes, they claim they can fit more artwork on the cover now. And they got a cute picture of the thing mm-hmm. before and after. And they also redid the little Marvel box so that the Marvel box of characters is on top of the price tag uh, and comics code, whereas before that was above the little head box. And I think we're still seeing the alternate uh, Spider-Man version, which has the M and the not alternate version, which has the the square. Uh uh, I could be I could be wrong about that. Though. No, no, no. You're you're right. Uh, my uh, masterworks has the little UPC area blacked out. So, do you remember if the M logo is the direct or the Spidey UPC? Well, I'm, I'm looking at the UPC. So, uh, and I don't have the M logo. So it must be the Spidey UPC that is the M logo. Okay. Yep. Oh, actually, I'm looking. I have the information about the 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 where I pulled the uh, October blah 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 stuff, and that cover that they're showing is the Spidey UPC with the M. Yes. So for those people who are super into the little Marvel box, there's more information than maybe you had uh, earlier. Wow, I'm I'm comparing these side by side. They're actually different. The covers the, are. Um, no, just the 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 placement of uh, stuff. So like in the in the M box. The number is on the right, and then the uh, the box box. Yep, it's on the left, and there's approved by the comics code, which is not on the Spidey M box. Really, that comic is apparently not approved by the comic code. Is the comics authority logo on the M logo? No, really? No, huh. it's not. Because I oh. thought that that was a thing. And you've also got your Canadian price on the M logo, which you don't have on the uh, regular logo. Very true. Very true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, interesting. Things you don't need to know about X-Men. All of this stuff meant something when comics were sold on newsstands. <laughs> <laughs> they should come up with, they should have like a an online sales version versus the bought in the store sales version. Oh, the UPC could be like a, like a flash animation that, yeah. uh, that crashes when you upgrade Chrome or something stupid. Oh, no. I just meant when you buy like from an online retailer as oh. opposed to when you buy it in a comic shop. Gotcha. I thought you meant you like have... a digital comic versus a comic st- store comic. Well, that could be like the third tier. Ooh. <laughs> uh, well, so the cover of this particular issue, whether you have an M or a box, uh, is pretty much the same or identical, one could say. I think so, yeah. (laughs) 
features essentially three things happening. The first thing is a a man who is in kind of like a two-tone with some shading going on, kind of like a like a maroon and yellow uh, silhouette, holding on to a flaming ball of Scott Summers and Madeline Pryor. Scott's holding Madeline's hand. There's a ring on Madeline's ring finger. She's got a tear going down from her face. She's wearing either a fluffy sweater or a robe. And then the third thing that's going on is everything's kind of boiling up from that flaming ball of Cyclo- or Scott Summers and Madeline Pryor into what looks like a bird or, more specifically, a phoenix head. Mm, I guess. Mm. Not really. I don't know. I think you're stretching it, but you might be right. I don't know. You don't think that's supposed to be a bird? I don't. I don't feel like that's intentional, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just totally like... You can see the beak there. You can see the eye. You can see the separation between the face of the bird and the beak. And it kind of just like boils into... I mean, based on what's going to happen in this comic book, it would make sense for that to have something Phoenix related. I just don't know, Jeremy. Well, I don't know for sure either because I haven't spoken with Paul Smith, but... (laughs) Why would you draw this? Like, what else would it be? It's not part of this man's hair. Well, I just thought it was stuff spiraling off into the air. Yeah, I think it would be quite a coincidence for that stuff spiraling off the air to look like a phoenix. No, I think you're you're probably right. You're probably right. But I never noticed it before now. Adam, who do you think this man is? Because when I look at him, I see Corsair. Yeah, it must be Corsair, right? And I'm wondering, like, why is Corsair so evilly looking at this ball of fire that is uh, Scott Summers and Madeline Pryor? It doesn't make any sense. Well, we had speculated last issue that the mysterious figure was none other than Black Tom Cassidy. Oh, so you think this is Black Tom Cassidy? I'm thinking that might be who it is. Oh, so we might get a juggernaut issue out of this. Yeah, totally. Sweet. I do like me some juggernaut. I would also like to point out that as of last issue, and we forgot to talk about this, the heads in the box are different. The heads in the box, are they? Well, we've got a new head. You do have a new head. You've got, uh, well, who do you? It used to be six heads, three by three, two rows of three. And uh, now we have seven heads with Colossus sort of in the middle. Yes. So issue number 173 featured the seven heads. Yes. 172 featured the six heads. And it looks like all they did was they kind of shrunk everything down to fit in the seventh head. Right. Oh, and the seventh head is rogue. No, we just shouldn't have told anybody. Oh. Just never tell. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Should have played like a scavenger game with it. First person to call into the danger room with what the seventh head is on issue 174 wins uh, a shout out. Who is the seventh head? (laughs) What's in the box? (laughs) All right. So let's open this thing up here. Is it the seventh head? (laughs) It is the seventh head. This is a story, Adam. It's called Romances. You probably already mentioned that. But it's written by uh, Chris Claremont, penciled by Paul Smith, inked by Bob Wiasect, colored by Glynis Ween. Tom Orzakowski is lettering. Luis Jones is editing. And Heem Shooter is editoring in chiefing. Totally, man. Sir. And we open this issue up by showing the, uh, well, in my opinion, long forgotten Star Jammer flying around space. 
Star Jammers, long forgotten stuff. And basically what's going on here is Scott Summers has invited Madeline up to the bridge of the Star Jammers to see the Earth rise. It's beautiful. It's it's so beautiful. Uh, and Madeline's got more. This is basically the crying uh, issue because on the cover, she's got a tear running down her face. She's looking at this earth rise. There's tears rolling down her face. Well, I mean, I would imagine this is a pretty awesome sight. So. Oh, absolutely. It's definitely. I mean, I, yes, I get it. I'm just making mention that there's lots of tears. Scott is delicately collecting her tears as though I need these. <laughs> <laughs> these might be Jean's tears. I better put them in a bottle. I'm collecting these for later. <laughs> One thing that I guess I noticed uh, on the cover and actually in this first uh, close-up of Scott and Madeline, Paul Smith seems to be pulling back on facial detail or just detail in general. Oh, really? You think so? He's going with a – to me, it seems like he's going with more of a minimalistic approach of drawing these characters. It still works, but they look a little car more cartoony than maybe some of the previous issues that we've uh, read. Hmm. But Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Less lines. I feel like he's kind of a halfway between John Byrne and Dave Cockrum. Could he's, be. He, he's more Bernie, more John Byrne-ish, but he's, he's, I feel like, eh, I don't know. Never mind. <laughs> I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's... it's, it's... Oh, I don't think it's bad at all. I think it's quite good. Yeah, it's just it's a little bit different than... I guess I'm just noticing... Maybe he's coming into his own after uh, the few issues that he's done so far. But anyways, uh, they kiss. No, it looks to me like Madeline Pryor is kissing Bono. It does. This man here is wearing some fly glasses. <laughs> I don't think this is what, 1981, 1982? So, so what are you two doing at this point? They're, they're done with, uh, I think they're probably writing and recording War would be my guess. So they're, they're not off in space? No, they're not in space, and Bono has not yet discovered the fly glasses. Oh. But this is space, so Bono could have traveled back in time, pushed Cyclops out of the way, and been like, I'm going to get me some redhead. <laughs> or, I'm going to get me some redhead. Edge, watch this. <laughs> she moves in mysterious ways. Back to the flying lemon. And off they go. <laughs> Anyways... <laughs> You do that much better than I. In walks Hepzibah and Corsair, who are like, Ahem, uh -uh says Corsair. And they pull away from each other. Mr. Summers! Hi, Dad. Mamzelle Hepzibah. So is she, is she like a French uh, skunk woman? I don't know. Yes, I'm going to go with yes. <laughs> Why would they call her Mamzelle? Why not? Okay. <laughs> she she she's a she's a giant skunk woman. I don't who why would she be French? And the answer is why not? The answer, Adam, is Pepe Le Pew. Oh, interesting. <laughs> I don't know. Interesting. No, I think you're onto something. I mean, I think maybe either consciously or subconsciously, Chris Claremont's like, I got a female skunk. <laughs> Let's make her French. It is shame to create on our account, kittings, especially since you look like you're having so much fun. I can't do a female a French. I was trying to do Pepe Le Pew, actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was 
Mamzelle Hepzibah, and she's talking pretty normal, right? She's talking pretty straight up English. You know, all the words are where they're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in a moment here, she will turn into a horribly deformed talking Yoda. Like the well, he, she, she speaks in uh, sentence chunks, like like not quite full sentences, but just like the core parts of the sentences. I I don't know. But but this says shame to quit on our account, Kitlings, especially when you look like you're having so much fun. That that's a complete sentence, thought, phrase, makes sense, flows, rolls off the tongue. It is, but how would you shorten that? I don't know, but I don't I don't think you can. I think the thing is it's like, you know, you could you could lengthen it, you could turn it into It would be quite a shame to quit on our account, Kitlings, especially when you look like you're having so much fun. Eh? Yeah, but so then later on, she's like, well, we'll get into it, but <laughs> it, it, it doesn't, it's whatever. Maybe I'm nitpicking, but this, this could have been Yodified. Like if she's either going to, she's going to, if she's going to be Yoda, make her Yoda all the time. But this, <laughs> well, they already have a Yoda. Well, right. <laughs> so I don't know why they got to make her talk in odd speech chunks, but anyway, because they all talk in odd speech chunks. We now get confirmation that we didn't even know we need that Corsair and Hepzibah are lovers. Is it confirmation or is it just she's flirting with Corsair? Because she could be saying, you know, Spock's idea is a Corsair. And he's like, later, God, leave me alone. Well, yeah, can't wait, she says. It's like, And then he says under his breath, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Maybe she is just flirting with him. But I thought there was I'm a not little. not sleeping with you, skunk girl. I'm not sleeping with an anthropomorphized skunk. Get away from no, me. I, I, I think they are, in fact, lovers. Yes. I mean, for a skunk, she's kind of hot, you know. Yeah, she's a pretty hot skunk. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Pistol pack and skunk belt. So they go on and talk about how they're showing the stars and all that sort of stuff. And Madeline's like, I've been around planes my whole life, but I never imagined it'd be like this in space. <laughs> Your star jammers, a dream come true. Would you like the nickel tour, Miss Pryor? So Corsair grabs Madeline and off they go. And uh, that's when Scott's like, Madeline's my dream come true, Hepzibah. And she says, mm, oh, so why I hear doubt in voice, Scott boy? No, that's not how Yoda speaks. Yoda would be, be like, oh, why doubt in voice I hear? Mm. Easy to talk, caring, loving, far harder to share blood. You die for her, Scott boy. Or she no, for you, this like is, Scott this is like long ago for this me. Is, this is like, I don't know. Fine. This is, some, this is some other character. But yeah, I mean, it's a thing, but it's not a Yoda thing. My point is, okay, it's not Yoda, but my point maybe, is. Maybe it's like Cookie Monster or something. <laughs> it's broken up speech to indicate that she's an alien and she hasn't quite grasped or mastered our language or whatever. Oh, but, you know who it is? Who? It's, uh. So why I hear doubt in voice, Scott boy? Uh, what's that guy's name from the Lord of the Rings? The, the guy, Gollum. the guy who covets the ring. My precious, yes, yes. Okay, that's Gollum. that's fine. But I'm just saying that her first dialogue box of this entire comic book was a normally written phrase that didn't have. All I don't think so. I do, Adam. I know, <laughs> and that's why I'm arguing so vehemently. You have to admit that this second dialogue is more broken than the first dialogue. 
I I just think you can't break up the first dialogue anymore without it being more confusing. I mean, this is confusing enough. She could have said, shame to quit, fun you look having. There, I just broke it up. <laughs> That's terrible. Yeah, it's just as terrible as the other sentence that I wrote. That... She's, she's, she's not like a child. Easy to talk, caring, loving. Far harder to share blood. You die for her, Scott boy. Or she for you, like Corsair did long ago for me. That last part works, but the rest of it's all broken. And it gets worse when we get into the comics. She talks like more and more broken as we go. Hmm. Right. What do you mean my dad's not dead, says Scott? Incredulous, incredulously? Incredulous, ah, that's, that word's hard to say. Incredulously? That's the word. So I can't remember, but was there a classic X-Men story in which this, this is talked about? There is, but like all classic Ekman stories, it may not have gone exactly down the sure. way that it's presented here. So this is, I guess, I think that story comes out of these two pages. Something happened in their past where Corsair almost died saving Hepzibah. Came close. So die. Forged bonds that'll never break. Hope you do the same with Lynn, the scuttable. What's that smell? <laughs> It's like somebody let a skunk on the... Oh, sorry, Hepzibah. Mm, no, not what a skunk is, do I? <laughs> and so we get uh, onto the flight deck, and that She should get together with a rocket raccoon. Oh, that would be awesome. There you go. What kind of babies would they have? Raccoon skunk babies? Yeah. Skunk coons? Raccoons. <laughs> they get onto the bridge, and Corsair introduces uh, Madeline to the crew. And uh, we see that Binary is now the newest member of the Star Jammers. Who's the person sitting in the front row? If you ask me, it is Psylocke. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> I don't know who that is supposed to be, but we, I don't. I don't is, I guess we haven't met her yet. You got Chode. He's back there. You got Raza. Was that his name? Raza. It, look, it looks like she's got Nightcrawler hands. Um, I can't really tell. I mean, I think the thing directly in the foreground is supposed to be a couple of fingers, but I can't really tell what's what there. But yeah, her face definitely looks like a young, uh, uh, original Betsy Braddock. Well, I guess not original, the second, the second iteration, purple-haired Betsy Braddock. She looks like Betsy Braddock with Psylocke's costume. Yeah, definitely. Well, we can't see colors. It's only two-tone because it's like a foreground shadow thing. But right. I would imagine it's like a purpley thing flowing dress just like he yeah 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 Yeah, of course so cyclops here he's like uh heard about your scrap with the x-men carol don't worry about it scott xavier did what he thought was right it's history so you're joining the star jammers just like i heard my dad say right (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah because uh i like stars and flying so here we go i like to jam (laughs) star jam i like to jam in the stars i like peanut butter and jam sandwiches star jam i call that my star jammer sandwich so she says all of that (laughs) it just like that too so she has a tear coming out of her eye too what is that like a um is that just part of her her new costume? <laughs> no, I think she's kind of like, I'm leaving Earth. I might not come back. 
Okay, so she's she's choking up. Yeah, yeah. I would chalk this up to a, a little little bit of a choke up here. Okay. Scott asks when they're going to leave, and uh, Corsair's like, "Pretty soon, and I'm not sure if we're ever coming back." Oh, didn't you want to come with us? And Cyclops is like, with Madeline kind of looking at him in the side. He's like, I don't know. And she's like, oh, no, you're not. <laughs> well, I get the impression they've discussed this before. And, and we'll, we'll I, I think further on we'll learn that they have. I would say that they've discussed it but come to no conclusions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's Scott. He's like waffly to the end. No, you probably don't really discuss anything with Cyclops. He, he, yeah. he probably just tells you his side of the story. And then when you start telling him your side of the story, he says, but my eyes are deadly. I have deadly eyes. You don't understand. I came from an orphanage. How can I function with these deadly eyes? <laughs> Meanwhile, in a gym uh, on the in the Starjammer, so now... Uh, the professor and Lilandra are up on the ship as well. The professor is sweating up a storm. What he's trying to do uh, with his hot, knee-high white socks with a green stripe is exercise those legs. Yep. Uh, he seems like he's doing a pretty good job. But apparently what happens is when he uses his legs, the strain is so great that it disrupts his side power, which we talked to, we've talked about a little bit in the past. I feel so utterly naked and helpless without them, even though I know the loss is only temporary. His side powers, that is. Well, so Lilandra has been running scan after scan after scan, and her results confirm her suspicion that this problem is physical in origin, uh, not like what we first heard where his uh, perfect specimen of his original body and that the nod and use of his legs is all psychosomatic. She also is dressed to the nines in the 80s fashion of leg warmers and a swimsuit. Yes, it's like she just saw Flashdance. Anyways, yeah, so the professor's like, uh, well, if it's physical, can it be corrected? I think so. I only wish I could stand beside you on that happy day. I gotta go. My sister's crazy and she's going after the throne and there's going to be civil war and... I gotta go. I got to go. I got to, much as it breaks my heart. Why don't you come with me? Caca. <laughs> Fight by my side. Live in my nest. Caca. <laughs> Professor's like, uh, I would love to come with you, but my duties with the X Men and the New Mutants. Remember what happened last time I went you? Went with you? Gene Guy went crazy. Yeah. It's my fault. That she, my fault. My fault she died. So, you know, stuff. <laughs> They are so young, Lil. He is concerned about Scott and Madeline. I nearly killed her when we first when first we met, mistaking her for Phoenix. The deadliest threat our universe has ever known. I feel like such a fool. And the professor's like, Why did you tell me that? You've told me this before. <laughs> uh the resemblance is uncanny, he says. Lilandra says, surely you've read her mind to learn the truth, Charles, right? That's because that's what you do with your mind powers. Turns out that Madeline's uh, one of the rare brains that are uh, her thoughts are closed off to, uh, I, I would assume, all uh, whatever he is. Size. Psychic, psychics. Yep. It's a natural phenomenon, though most unusual in a normal human. 
So that's something. Scott's thoughts, however, have laid to become the proverbial open book, which is kind of creepy. <laughs> I can't help looking at him. <laughs> the things he think about are filthy. You know, Professor, just because the book is open doesn't mean you have to read it. <laughs> you dirty perv. He is deeply troubled, troubled and even more deeper in love, deeply in love. Could Madeline B. Jean Grey, Phoenix Reborn, is such a thing possible in this crazy whacked out universe we call the Marvel Universe? Yes. No, he says, <laughs> uh, who knows? Can a love as true as hers and Scott survive death? Indeed, what is death to a creature such as Phoenix? <gasps> Holy crap. I think, I think Madeline's Phoenix. Don't, don't, I, don't you? I, I don't know. This 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 issue may lend some credence to your theory. <laughs> Weird, uh, but the physical likeness uh, may be no more than a cruel coincidence compounded by our own fears and fantasies. And really, if the physical likeness is a coincidence, isn't it really sad that Cyclops isn't trying to figure out whether or not he's in love with the woman or in love with the face of a woman? Oh, well, Jeremy, he is. Over and over again. <laughs> I don't. He doesn't really talk about that so much. That's not so much of what's on his mind. Well, it kind of is. No, basically, I mean, what's well, on his mind is he's, he's like, she's Phoenix. She's Phoenix. She's got to be Phoenix. Not well. Yeah. Not like, am I in love with Madeline Pryor, the woman, or am I in love with a woman who looks like Jean Grey? I feel like he does eventually talk about that, but well, we'll see. I can't remember. Yeah, I don't either. Well, the professor and the lander, the kiss, uh, and so, professor basically is like, well, Scott deserves happiness, so whatever. Hey, remember the title, Romances? Let's do some romances. Mm -hmm. Let's see if we can get these legs to work, if you know what I mean. So here's where we cut back to Scott thinking to himself, am I crazy? I love Madeline. I'm certain she feels the same way about me. I haven't felt so happy, so complete since Jean died, like I found a missing essential piece of myself. Or a so woman who I looks like ex Or a woman who looks like the girl I used to love. <laughs> why can't I simply access what this is and have it done with it? Why am I trying to destroy us? Yeah. Then he goes on to reiterate that she's the sole survivor of an airplane that died in the exact same moment, according to his watch, because he was keeping track, that the Phoenix died. And as near as he can discover, she has no traceable existence prior to that crash. Whenever I press her about it, she changes the subject. It was on a Sunday, bloody Sunday. Oh. You know what? I'm going to just do a little interlude here real quick, Adam. Okay. Let's talk about you two. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> what I was thinking about, and and uh, without spoiling any of this issue or, or without spoiling much of what's to come, I think what would have been really cool is if Chris Claremont could have worked with Heem Shooter or somebody else to come up with a Scott and Madeline four-part miniseries. And in that four-part miniseries, we could have gotten some of the... Because I got to imagine, like... I feel like in today's Marvel Universe, they would have addressed this more, this whole weird relationship between Scott and Madeline, who looks exactly like his ex-wife, or his, his ex-fiancé, because I think they were engaged to be married. And you could throw in an evil villain there, like, whatever, to just give it some action and whatnot. Uh, but just to, like, further flesh this out, because we're only getting a lot of this information 
based on Scott's thought bubbles. And I think it, it could have really worked as a four-part miniseries. And they could have talked about, like, uh, you know, Madeline, I've told you so much about when I was in the orphanage and when I used to be an X-Man with Iceman and Angel and, and Beast. And uh, what was it like when you were a kid? And then you could have had the whole, like, I don't want to talk about it or mm, I'm kind of hungry or whatever. And then he could go through this internal gyration of what's going on. And you could have done other cool stuff. Like Scott could have taken Madeline to meet the former X-Men and, and really fleshed out the character without giving away what's to come. Because I honestly, I don't think that at this point in the comics, anybody that's a creator knows quite what they're going to do with Madeline Pryor. Anyways, that's my interjection. That's a good thought. <laughs> I think, I think a, uh, a four part miniseries or some such short story would have been interesting. And not a retcon, um, not a classic X-Men retcon, but like something in canon, like, okay, let's deal with this. And, and again, throw a villain in for some fun, Magneto or whoever you want to find. It doesn't have to be anything that furthers the plot of Madeline, but just something for them to triumph over while they're working through the, 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 maybe the turmoil of them dating. And, 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 cause I think that in reality, Madeline sees a picture of Jean and she's like, what the heck, Scott? <laughs> Like she's got to do some internal rationalizing and dealing with the fact that the man she loves is was engaged to a woman that looked exactly like her that died on the moon. <laughs> That's a lot to wrap your head around, isn't it? Well, honestly, this is what makes Scott Summers such a bizarre character because everything he does is pretty much extremely quick. It plays out extremely quickly. Like he falls in love with the drop of the hat. He's with Lee Forrester. He's with Madeline Pryor, you know, everything happens like so quickly. And because of this, you know, we don't get to see that kind of evolution, which would round out a character. Mm -hmm. I think that's part of the reason why Scott Summers is such a mess. Hmm. So he is, he is, uh, only good on the battlefield. His, he makes bad personal decisions. Well, I think as time goes on, I think all of this stuff starts to get, um, touched upon as far as why Scott Summers is so screwed up, but um, I don't know. It's 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 really interesting. I think it's the fast and loose eighties, baby. Things move fast. I suppose we don't talk about feelings. <clears throat> All right. So, anyways, um, so yeah, while Scott's in the midst of his thinking about this whole thing about her past and changing the subject and whatnot, Madeline walks in. Penny for your thoughts, handsome. <laughs> they were always of you, Red. Didn't he used to call Jean Grey Red? Probably. <laughs> maybe not. I, I can't remember. Maybe he's not talking to Madeline here. <laughs> he's like, if I always call her Red, then I can never mistakenly call her Jean. And then <laughs> I will never be in trouble. <laughs> yep. Hi, Red. Uh, and so... Um, Madeline's like, looks like you've been talking to ghosts. I do from time to time. So she talks about the flight. She tries to, ex uh, she imagines herself in the crashed flight, trying to explain to apologize to all of the killed passengers. Uh, but it's just a dream. Scott doesn't like the fact that she's talking about herself. So he brings it back to him and my ghosts. <laughs> what about my ghosts, baby? I know I was just thinking about how I wanted to learn more about your past, but let's talk about me. One in particular, not your usual sort of romantic rival, you must admit. So here, when she says this, um, 
I almost think she's talking about Jean, but she's not. Oh, she's not? Who is she talking about then? Well, well, I don't know. I, I thought that maybe this was in relation to Corsair's offer for Scott to go on the Starjammer, like go out into space. Hmm. But maybe, but it seems too much to be like, and my ghost, one in particular, not your usual sort of romantic rival. So, I mean, is not your usual sort of romantic rival a dead ex-girlfriend? Because I... It's not usual, but that would definitely be a romantic rival if you, who had the dead fiancé, are not over that dead fiancé and you're dating a new woman, then that woman has a, what I would say, a romantic rival. Yeah, and that's what I thought it was being talked about here. But it's the not your usual sort of romantic rival, so maybe she just means dead ex-girlfriend rather than living woman (laughs) that I'm competing with. I don't know. Right, right. Maybe that's what it is. It just seems... seems well, it's, it's just not very good dialogue. Yeah, it seems oddly worded. But anyways, uh, so Scott, I guess, changes the subject if we are to, to go down the road that, that the rival is Jean and says, oh, uh, or actually, no, it's Madeline who changed the subject. And she says, uh, what about your dad's offer? Please don't hold back on my account. What if I ask you to come with me? And they embrace on the bridge with the moon in the backdrop. Scott's got away with the ladies. Oh, yeah. Meanwhile, in Japan, a man who doesn't have quite the way with the ladies. Not anymore, he doesn't. <laughs> yep. It's, uh, it's, it's Wolverine, and he's, he's mad. He's, he's storming the clan Yashida home, and he wants to talk to Mariko. Mariko! Yeah. You loved me, and now you don't. What the heck? You gave me this sword, remember? And she's she's like, yep, I did, but you're an animal. You're not worthy of me. And then he gets really mad. That's not good enough! And she's like, but you murdered my father, so, so there's that. Wolverine says, remember this blade, Mariko? You gave it to me. The honor sword of Clan Yoshida for 800 years it has represented all that you are and wish to be. Not to be worn by the lord of the clan, but by the samurai who best exemplifies those qualities. I'm not worthy of you, lady. I'm not worthy of it. And she's like, that sounds about right. And she looks over to her side where there's a very beaten up, uh, can, I can't remember how to pronounce the name, Kanuchiyo-san? Silver Samurai. Kanuchiyo. Kanuchiyo. And she's like, Canuccio said, my esteemed brother, would you return that sacred blade to its proper resting place? I have one little occasion. All my past crimes are forgiven. Mariko has named me her heir. You have nothing. You are nothing. Seen Viper around? I really miss her. (laughs) And that's when Mariko says, Wolverine, my love is for a man. Not a beast clad in human form. Leave my sight, my house, my land forever. Okay. And so he does. I'm going to scoot. I'm scooting. Futzers. They're all a bunch of futzers. Meanwhile, at the uh, the mansion, back on Earth. So, so are we to believe that in the time that it took everybody to leave Japan... Cyclops went up to space. Everybody flew back to the mansion. Um, Wolverine's just been hanging around Japan. He's been in his very expensive apartment or hotel or whatever that was with all the glass walls, pacing back and forth, being like, 
<laughs> I'm going to tell her off. I'm really going to let her have it. Uh, she, she she loves me. She just needs to be reminded that she loves me. Yeah, 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 that's it. Any moment now, any day now, I'm going to be ready. And so for... You know what? If, if she doesn't take me back, I'm giving her back this sword. Cause, that, that'll show cause, her. Uh, yeah, yeah. She, she'll, she'll see me throw the sword down and she'll be like, oh, wait a minute. She, he's right. And then she'll love me again. And we'll get married. And I'll get the X-Men back here. And it'll be just like it used to be. <laughs> Futzers. <laughs> yes. Just three weeks of him pacing back and forth, being like that, curled up into a ball, crying. I want to see that as like... <laughs> a one-shot. A one-shot. Or, <laughs> or even like an animated sketch. That would be very funny. We've got some talented... I don't know if that would work, though. I mean, I think our audience would understand and get a laugh out of it, but that's not the type of video that goes viral because everybody would be like, why is Wolverine in Japan crying? Who needs it to go viral? Oh, I don't know. If you're gonna I, think all... I think any X-Men fan would get it. Maybe. Only in the context of this podcast, though. The way you just laid it out establishes that some time has passed since the end of the wedding and that confrontation because people traveled across the sea and the stars. <laughs> and you know the way the comic book lays it out it's like yeah it's just the next day Starjammer came collected everybody dropped them all off yeah comic time is confusing yeah anyways back at the mansion Kitty and Lockheed are in her bedroom and Kitty is reading an issue of Star Wars and um, she says I guess she's reading some dialogue and she says that's telling Luke and Leia 3PO Boy, Lock, boy, Lockheed, these lash bees sure have a way with words, you know. So, I didn't do this, but what I wanted to see was what was the corresponding issue of Star Wars during this time to see if the lash bees were a character in the ongoing Star Wars series. But I didn't, so. I thought maybe they were the writers. That could be, too. Like, I was going to just see if I could... There's got to be a Star Wars comic wikia out there that has who is in the issue, who is the writer, who is the artist, and then we could make that that connection. But what issue do you think it is? I can't tell. It it, it looks like seventy three, and I guess that's possible. Okay. Because it's eighty two, and Return of the Jedi comes out when eighty three, right? All right, all right. I found it. It is seventy three. Yeah, and the cover is very similar. Okay. So, the writer is Mary Jo Duffy. Okay. The title the title is Lashbane. Lash. So maybe that's that's what it has to do with Lashbane. So I'm betting that there was some alien creatures called the Lashbees. Double Jeopardy: The Terrible Secret of the Planet Lashbane, or no, Lasbane. Lasbane. L A H S. Oh, I'm misreading it. Right. Because this is the Laz bees, not the Lash bees. My bad. So yeah. So so the the inhabitants of the planet must be the Laz bees. Have you ever read the Star Wars comic run? I have not. Nor have I. I'm very curious because uh, I think they all fit in, right? Like the first six issues are Star Wars, and then there's a bunch of issues of original content. Then there's Empire Strikes Back, which I think do they do a limited series or do they just run it in the context of the comic? They just run it in the context of the comic. Right. And then so then they have they must they have an empire to return of the Jedi comic. I'm wondering what they do about the whole Han Solo thing. Like, um, is he just not in the comics between issues 50 and 74 or whatever? 
That was a great question. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, let's not look up that answer now, but th- uh, just something to think about. And then I would they, imagine, does, does Return of the Jedi just end the whole comic series, or do they keep going after that? I bet they keep going. I mean, the popularity was high. Yeah. Huh. But um, I there is a there is a, a Marvel omnibus of, or maybe a few omnibus omnibuy of the entire series. So if you want it, it's available. I'm I'm good. I got enough to read. <laughs> I'm betting it's not that great, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna wager to agree with you. Are you reading any of the current Star Wars comics? No, I haven't read a Star Wars comic since they kind of re-released them back in, you know, the early 90s. ones. Yeah, with the painted covers and stuff. And I honestly, I didn't really care for those either. I mean, the covers were nice, but eh, I didn't really care for it. So I liked those ones. Maybe I should reread them, but... I liked the first maybe six or 12 or whatever, the first two series, but then they started branching out and it just got really too much did you ever read the timothy zahn novels i did i read that trilogy but again that was like the the those those were a lot of fun and then all of a sudden there were hundreds of star wars books and it was like i'm out yep so i read that trilogy as well and honestly i would encourage anybody who's a star wars fan to go pick them up i bet you you can pick them up cheap there's two timothy zahn series you want to get the first one. It's a trilogy. The second one is just two stories, but the first book is like 400 pages and the second book is like a thousand pages. So he could have made it a trilogy, but he didn't. Uh, the second one I found to be boring, but that first initial... Uh, it was a trilogy. What are you talking about? He wrote two different series. He, oh, he wrote okay. a trilogy that, that happens right on the heels of Return of the Jedi. And then he writes two books like years and years later that take place, I don't know, 20 years maybe or so after Return of the Jedi. Those two books are boring. <laughs> but the first three that he wrote, which is like what, um, I can't remember what they're called. Well, it doesn't matter. They're good. Check them out. First, if you prefer words with pictures, then they, they made comic book series of that first trilogy. Oh, did they? Hmm. Yeah. Well, anyways, uh, Kitty is reading the Star Wars as we talked about. What do you think happened that C-3PO told off Luke and Leia? That just doesn't seem likely. Maybe 3PO was warning them about the dangers of the planet Lasby, and then Luke and Leia fell into a trap, but 3PO standing next to them being like, Oh dear, I told you so. <laughs> <laughs> and then Luke stabs him with his lightsaber. Do you think that happened? <laughs> Anyways, uh, so they're cuddled up and, and uh, Kitty is just talking about how cute Lockheed is. Hey, you know what's interesting? Another side note about Star Wars. What? Apparently when the Marvel was publishing the, uh, the Empire Strikes Back as a comic book series, they didn't have anything to go by other than a script and some concept art. And so apparently their Yoda does not match the Yoda in the film, but it matches... What's his name? Uh, Mark Con, whatever the whatever the whatever the the sketch editor that did all the the Star Wars concept art was. Oh, so so they the whole series Yoda does not match up, and then I guess Marvel went back when they republished it and redrew the Yoda parts. Interesting. I wonder if I that's did. because uh, what 
Lawrence Kasdan and Kasdan and company didn't have sketch art of Yoda yet, or were they trying to keep Yoda a secret? I mean, he's kind of a pivotal character. You think that they would have, along with concept art, been like, oh, this is what Yoda looks like. I don't know. I mean, maybe they, due to publishing things, they did it so far ahead of the schedule that they didn't, they just didn't have access to those puppets yet. I suppose, right? Because it probably takes about a month to produce a single comic book. And I, they did those, I think, in six parts. I mean, I don't think there were four-parters. Yeah. So they probably had to start, well, but I mean, how long do you think they took to shoot Empire Strikes Back? It probably took probably took like 18 months to shoot that whole thing. No, no, no. Okay, fine. Half that. Nine months to shoot, no, edit. It, 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 the, probably the shooting uh, just the of just the principal actors, that was probably two months or three months okay but then the effects and then the and editing then the effects was and, the bulk of it and, and the scoring and then whatever else you got to do the public uh, publicity it probably took from start to finish from the from from putting the period in the last page of the script to actually delivering it to the movie theater probably took a year i don't know and you're right, principal photography would have done been done probably first ish in that whole process so by the time they gave the script and the working art to Marvel, you'd think that they would have had Yoda already on film. Weird. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe the movie industry worked faster back then. Well, the movie, I think the movie industry works pretty fast nowadays. <laughs> I know, that was kind of a joke. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, uh, it's, it's Lockheed, and, and Lockheed's getting a little jealous of how Kitty feels about Peter. Just because I like Peter a lot doesn't mean I like you any less. I've got more than one friend. You'll just have to accept that. Pafooey! Now I'm going to go over here. <laughs> cool. <laughs> so she is taking a little break from her room and from her jealous dragon, who she knows nothing about. Uh, and she knocks on Peter's door. Peter is in his room painting, and he is saying... I am no good at painting. <laughs> Go away, please. I am busy. I am not good at painting. <laughs> Nor am I good with social graces, as we will soon find out. <laughs> so Kitty comes in and she's like, whatever, study break, come on. I gotta show you this issue of Star Wars. Because <laughs> I, remember, I'm 13 and you're 17. <laughs> just, just remember she's that. She is, okay. <laughs> Maybe she turned 14 or when we first met Kitty, was she 13 or 12? Because she did have know, a she, birthday. She, she did have a birthday. All right. So. We'll, we'll call her we'll call her 14. How about that? I, think, I thought she turned 13, though. Yeah, but I, I don't think know. you're right. It's, 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 a, it's too wide of an age gap. 13 and 17? Yes. No. Yes. They're both kids. Okay. Do you... How long have we known Peter? I mean, in the context of the comic books, at least six months has passed since we first took him from Mother Russia to Krakoa to, to save the old X-Men. At least six months, don't you think? Okay. This dude's getting close to 18. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, that's the way it is. It's not that way. These kids move fast. Now, granted, Adam... Nowadays, I it's even faster. Now, now if a logical relationship, Kitty would be eight. <laughs> And classes would be 22. <laughs> now, I get that there's only a four-year age gap. And really, I mean, when you're, you know, if it's like a 20 and a 24-year-old, that's not weird. You know, if it's 32 and 36, like, well, they're the same age practically. But, 
I don't know. Like there, there's a, in my opinion, there's a huge difference between thirteen and four or seventeen. That it depends. No. <laughs> Uh, anyways, so he's painting and he, he just, he, I've seen the picture in my head, but I cannot put it on the canvas. Not happy about this. I'm no good. <laughs> well, you might need a change of scenery. I would prefer to be left alone. Tough luck. I won't take no for an answer. Come on, some playtime will do us both good. So they go out in the hallway and she's like, I was going to show you my car, Star Wars comic book. But I want to show you what's in Aurora's attic. For whatever okay. reason. Okay. So she has him close his eyes and and uh, basically face her. She jumps into his arms and gives him a huge kiss. Says Peter. Which I'm assuming is Russian for, ooh, I like that hot young stuff. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm an embarrassed person who doesn't understand these social graces. What the heck, bub? Yes. Is what he's saying in Russian. Kitty! You're blushing. I'm angry. I was hoping it would be Wolverine that would jump into my arms and smooch me. <laughs> I don't think angry is the right word, but surprised, maybe. Well, it was worth it, but that's not what I wanted to show you. That was just a spur-of-the-moment thing. Okay, hold on to me and walk forward and don't open your eyes. So basically, okay. what she's demonstrating here is that she has been working with a professor and has mastered the practice. So this lends into your time thing that you were talking about, Adam. They flew back from Tokyo and she worked on this process, which probably took a few weeks. I feel like she... we touched upon this before wasn't she in the danger room at some point working on transporting objects into the uh through through phasing objects through other objects yes so we have seen her phase uh things and people through items so she can extend her phasing field or whatever you want to call it to another person to go through something but what she is demonstrating here is that she can not only do that but she can uh levitate them as well so she is in Peter's arms. She's phasing him. He's walking what he thinks to be forward. But in addition to her phasing him, she's also raising him up. And they are phasing through uh, Aurora's attic floor. So that's that's a new twist on her power. That's, yeah, that's pretty cool. And so he, uh, she's thinking, oh, I, I better, I can't lose my concentration. If we solidify in the floor, things would get messy. It's just no kidding. <laughs> So Peter is like, uh, oh, you cut off the bottom half of my body. Why you do this? <laughs> I am no good at walking anymore. <laughs> so apparently they get up high enough uh, for this not to happen because Peter opens up his um, eyes and says, by the white wolf, for the first time phasing, by the way. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and he realizes that they are a few feet off the ground, and, and that's when Kitty breaks her concentration, and they crash to the ground. How did you do that? And she explains. Danger room, professor, time. Hey, I'm scared. Are you scared? Yes. <laughs> this was the first time I tried affecting someone as big as you. <laughs> yes, and they look at each other. Uh, for longingly, innocently, I don't know, but they're gonna they're gonna make out for a while. It's basically shouldn't we be watering Aurora's plants? That is why we came up here. They can wait a little longer. Meanwhile, outside, 
new awesome cool Aurora Punk Storm flying around. Punk <laughs> Punk Storm. Yeah, I, I feel like we didn't give enough credit for to for Punk Storm. This was like a huge deal. I mean, we were kind of like, this is our storm, that sort of stuff. That's true. But I mean, like for for this is like a major reimagining of a character and super like punk eighties and. I don't know. I think it was just like a big deal. I bet. I mean, there haven't really been... I think this issue features the first letters column in a long time, so it won't be for another couple of issues. But I'd, I guess I'd be curious uh, what the fan either outcry or praise was. And I guess I would have to imagine it's more praise than outcry because they didn't change her back forever. And as, oh. as a matter of fact, I think they're calling back to it to this day, aren't they? Yeah, she's she's got the mohawk again. Yeah, so... I would be really curious uh, to to find out more about like what was happening in the you know the the writer's office when they're like you know what we should do to storm let's give her a mohawk and punk clothes. Imagine if you've been like you're in the '80s, you've been reading this comic since the reboot, you've grown pretty attached to these characters. Suddenly, bam. Storm's got a mohawk yeah. and no, is wearing I, all leather. I, I honestly wish in that, that, that half-page spread or whatever it was of Storm when she first kind of reveals herself that we could have had an audible representation of electric guitars because <laughs> that's what should have happened, you know? Uh, it's a loud power chord as she lands. She's like, I'm all new and all different, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Don't like it? Deal with it. I got attitude. <laughs> she uh, so Storm is flying back to the mansion. She notices that she's got visitors in her attic. How nice she thinks to herself. She floats down into the attic, and that's when we see the kitty and Colossus are totally making out. Oh, oh dear. dear! One thing I'll say about. Um... Storm and this whole look of hers, which I like, obviously, because it's the storm I grew up with and blah, blah, blah. But her vocal characterizations don't seem to match her appearance, her outward appearance. And that I, is true. And However, I, it is it is still a considerable change, though. She's she's much less regal and much more casual. Yeah. Is she using contractions yet? Um, I don't think so. I never noticed that stuff. Oh, I don't think so. Um, my point is, and obviously you can't change everything all at once. Otherwise that, that would be uh, probably a little too, uh, unrealistic, but she, she's dressing like this because she, of the influence from Yukio and some of the other changes that have gone on in her life. So one thing that didn't, to me, it seems like it comes across. I don't really see like a huge attitude shift between this storm and flowing hair goddess storm. Well, the only attitude shift that we've really gotten is her being like, what's going on with my powers? And why am I in such this state of distress? And, you know, right. the, the, the Scott Summers mentality, essentially. <laughs> my deadly powers. But no, it's it's it, 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 it to me, it's like she doesn't seem to care any more or any less about the things that she cared about before. And that's, well, that's, that's, that's not a bad thing, but I'm just saying like Yukio's whole thing was like live fast and die hard or live hard and die fast or something like that. And I feel like she's adopting that attitude a little bit. She's, she's more carefree looking, but I guess this is like the fifth panel of 
<laughs> punk storm. So maybe there's more to come. Maybe we're jumping the gun on this one. Well, I mean, right here we learn that, uh, you know, Kitty and, and Colossus are embarrassed. And Kitty says, well, I might phase and run away. And Colossus says, don't you dare. <laughs> but uh, she's, she's, Kitty says that they came up there to take care of her plants. And then she realizes for the first time, because she hasn't looked around the attic yet, that the plants are gone. Yeah. And so, yeah, we get we get our major character change there. They're still working on the concepts and maybe not so much the dialogue. I feel like it's a little carefree. You don't. That's fine. But, man, this is a cool 80s couch. Well, and that's, yeah. I, this is going to be retconned so fast. Not retconned. This is going to be changed so fast. I chain, I sold all of my plans to buy this couch. It's pretty swanky. <laughs> But this definitely has a simplistic in my, and I don't know anything about Japanese culture or Japanese style in the 80s, but this feels to me what a Japanese home would look like in the 80s. I bought a rock. A very, yes, a very simple rock to meditate next to, maybe a, a very simple table, a lamp, and a, and a, and a couch. And that's it's it. It's a purple rock. <laughs> but, uh, the plants will be back sooner than later. I call it Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> I don't know why I call it Dwayne Johnson, but he's a rock. <laughs> Anyways, apparently uh, Nightcrawler has been promoted from useless to the X-Men's medic, Kurt Wagner. Yeah, we've slowly been kind of building up to this. Kurt and Wagner, <laughs> Another good sketch. <laughs> oh, you look like you need some leeches on that wound. I, I don't know very much about medicine, but I'm a doctor. <laughs> yep, I got my honorary degree in Dusseldorf. Somebody's got to be the doctor. Why not me? <laughs> Only in America. <laughs> well, he's tending to Rogue. And they're having a little back and forth. Rogue's like, none of you, none, none of y'all like me. I should have just died. Nah. Nah. Wolverine would have let you die, but he didn't. So you, you might be all right. Yeah, he would have let you die if he did, if he thought you sucked. Uh, so I guess you don't suck in his eyes. And he carries a lot of sway. So uh, <laughs> I bet it'll be good. You know, honestly, when this whole team thing started, I thought I would be the go-to guy. But uh, it didn't happen for Nightcrawler. No, no, I'm sort of useless. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm kind of the beast squad, although I just haven't realized it yet. That's why I'm a, a, that's why I'm the medic. I've got a great personality though. Yeah. I'm Nightcrawler. I'm funny. And I have a pet pterodactyl who I can't find, but he's around. I just know it. Somewhere. <laughs> I miss Terry so much. <laughs> Rogue comments that the medical room that they're in, or maybe this is Rogue's new bedroom, but in any event, it is uh, Jean Grey's old room. And we get kind of a, a backstory about how Jean Grey was a founding member of the X-Men and she became Phoenix. And ultimately she became Dark Phoenix and went mad and killed a whole bunch of people and uh, and ultimately killed herself. Yeah, this is definitely like the panel for those of you just joining us. This is what you've missed. Previously on X-Men. <laughs> exactly. Well, anyways, he, he leaves. And he's like, oh, man, is that where the story 
stops and ends? Storm saw the Phoenix effect in Tokyo. She's named after Phoenix. Phoenix dies only to be reborn. Madeline Pryor? I don't know. What's up with her? <laughs> she looks just like Jean. That's really weird. You don't have Suppose. to be a doctor to tell that. Ah. <laughs> Suppose she is the Phoenix Reborn. What do we do then? I guess we fight her and probably lose. I sure wish Amanda was here, but she's off with Doctor Strange. <laughs> so he opens up a gift that is next to him, and it's a little stuffed Amanda Sefton as a witch plush doll. They now have plush dolls of each other. I am thinking that they went to Build-A-Bear together. Probably. just happened to find uh, stuffed animals that look just like them. Early 1980s Build-A-Bear. Wait a minute. That's a blue elf. <laughs> well, it, in Build-A-Bear, it was labeled Smurf. Uh, <laughs> and not only is Nightcrawler a medic, but he is a seamstress. Or whatever the Not masculine that, version of seamstress is. And so he sewed the Smurf to look like a Nightcrawler. Maybe in the Marvel Universe, there is a there are no Smurfs, but instead there are um, a variant version of Smurfs that look just like, what did, what did, uh, what did Kitty call them in her story? Bamfs. That's Bamps. what they were. Yeah, yeah. Little, little Bamfs. And maybe that's why Kitty's story happened to look exactly like Nightcrawler's stuffed animal. Uh, you might be onto something, Adam. So, uh, meanwhile, boy, nothing's really happened in this issue, Adam. Are, are we going to fight a bad guy or something? No, this is this is a classic X Men uh, in betweener. Oh, okay. Well, there's an airplane and and Cyclops or Scott Summers, I should say, and Madeline Pryor are flying it, and apparently, well, Madeline's like, "Have you made your decision yet?" Because this ring you gave me this morning kind of complicates things. Yeah, that, that, this is weird. We don't actually see the, the ring-giving scene. We just hear Scott talking about it. And then he says, Well, whatever happens, I wanted you to know how I felt. So I Here's a ring, so I'm leaving you. Well, it's on her left hand, on her ring finger, which is the engagement ring. So he's like, Will you marry me even if I go to space? <laughs> And maybe you come with me or not. Honestly, I wish you wouldn't because I want to have my way with that skunk girl. (laughs) (laughs) Me and my dad want to, well, it's been a while since we've seen each other, you know? We're into (laughs) into freaky stuff. And she's like, uh, yeah, um, I feel the same way about you. It's mutual till death do us part. So it's definitely a proposal. By the way, two tears, one in each of these panels so more more tearing but this makes every sense t- every, right? every time she looks at the ring she she starts to choke up yeah but i mean this is probably the happiest day of her life right she got a, a proposal from the man of her dreams who who happens to have a dead ex-girlfriend that looks exactly like her and who she just met like four issues ago <laughs> yeah well it's quick you know but true love adam is something Scott goes to check on the passengers, and he thinks to himself, right to the end, I was positive I'd chicken out, but I did it. I actually proposed, and Madeline accepted. I don't know the truth about her. Perhaps I never will, but it don't matter. <laughs> That's how every good relation starts out. Don't know anything <laughs> about your pets, and I may never find out, but what's the harm? Well, anybody else? Anyways, he looks over at the passengers, and I'm not sure what kind of flight this is, but... Why is he the steward? Like, I think he's, he's just being nice. Well, I get it, but like, 
he's the co-pilot and somebody's got to walk back and let everybody know that they're landing and because they don't have a steward. It's supposed to be a very small chartered flight or something, but I don't know. There's a, yeah, he's fasten your seatbelts. He walks by a priest who looks super familiar at him. Doesn't he look familiar? No. He doesn't? Not to me. No? What was he from? I mean, I know who he is, but what was he from? Uh, uh, well, Adam, when Jean Grey flew to Italy or wherever she went for her little vacation, she met some men along the way. Yeah. Was I, that, a, I, was that I, classic I, X-Men? It was both. Oh, okay. Like, classic X-Men fleshed it out. So, but I, I, maybe maybe the priest more appears in classic X-Men. No, th- but, there, uh, there was like a beefcake guy that she kind of sort of fell in love with. That was mainly in the classic X-Men. He, the beefcake guy only got a f- couple of panels in uh, actual X-Men. But this, this priest guy, I feel like gave her some advice. Like she sat next to this priest guy and he gave her some advice. Like live your uh-huh. life, be free or something like that. Okay. So we've, this is the second, this is why he's getting so much panel time, in the, but we've seen him before. And he had a little interaction with Gene, which is weird because he bends down and picks up a picture and he's like, sorry to bother you, lad, but I believe you dropped this as you passed. And so he, Thanks, father, I hadn't noticed. So he picks up the thing that the priest gives him and it's a photo and it's, no. It's someone who looks like her. Oh no no! Well, <laughs> I'm reading the, the, I'm reading it the wrong way. Right. The father, uh, the the pastor says, "This is a fine, lovely figure of a woman. Our captain, is it not?" So the picture is of Jean in Italy on the beach, laying down. Which I believe this is a panel right from the comic. And I'm presuming that the beefcake is the one who took this. Yes, I think you're right. Uh, and that's when he says, uh, "No, it's someone who really looks like her." Jean, he thinks to himself, this shot's from her visit to Greece, just before her transformation to Dark Phoenix. It's not mine. How did it get here? Why now? So, that's weird, Adam. Yeah. He goes back to, up to the front, thinking thinking to himself, has the world gone crazy or is it only me? I thought I'd sorted all things out. I was happy, but now I'm confused and scared more than ever. The priest thinks to himself, poor boy, looks like he was just kicked in the gut. Better get used to it, Sonny, because there's more to come. That's, that's weird. So presuming that the we we do know who the priest is because we might we have, have for, read, we might have forgotten, but I'm not I'm not saying we should spoil it now, but oh, yeah. uh, you know. We we do know who the priest was and we do know who the beefcake was, so put it together. You could you might be able to figure out what's going on by now. I'll give you one page to figure it out and then I'm gonna spoil it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so she gets up, or uh, actually Cyclops gets up to the front, and he, uh, well, Madeline's like, what's wrong? And Scott passes it off as like, oh, it's just something I ate. Nothing to worry about. You still want to get together tonight? Are you kidding? This is a celebration I wouldn't miss for the world. He says apparently non-convincingly, because as Madeline drives home, he she's thinking to herself, that he tried to cover it up. Uh, he's withdrawing into himself, shutting me out. Something's wrong, but he won't tell me. On the other hand, who am I to complain about other people being secretive? Old habits die hard, and you pay dearly for them. So, that's weird. That means something. So, that means that Madeline is cognitively aware that she's being secretive, right? Yeah. 
I think so. Hmm. What is her secret, Jeremy? Honestly, I don't know. Because <laughs> I really do... I, 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 it'll be funny. It'll be fun. Not funny. It'll be fun to see how this whole thing plays out. Because I really liked everything that happens with Madeline Pryor and her whole story. But in retrospect... I know that they were flying by the seat of their pants as they wrote all that. <laughs> so I don't think that, I mean, I, I think that Chris Claremont's like, Madeline Pryor's not what she thinks or, or what she seems. But I don't think he has quite an idea of what it is she is yet, would be my opinion. Hmm. But maybe he does, and it just doesn't work out that way. That could be a possibility as well. Or maybe it worked out exactly the way he wanted it to, but I doubt that. In any event, uh, she uh, she's now she's walking through, I think, her house, her place, and she's like, oh, I'm engaged. I can't believe it. Well, wonders never steep. I hope Scott's ready, and I hope he's as good a cook as ever, because I'm starved. You know, she's driving the car and thinking to herself, but when she gets into her house, she starts speaking out loud. That's not real. <laughs> That's what I do, Adam. <laughs> I'm in the car. I'm just going to think to myself, oh, I'm home, everybody. Well, nobody else is home, or so she thinks. But in the foreground, we see a very familiar man with a mustache and mutton chops and like a little kind of English bow sticking out of the back of his head. Uh, and to remind us exactly who this is, he's lighting a cigarette, as we've seen him do so many times before. We've seen him do it as do i spoil it adam i said i was going to yes yeah, spoil it two people as an older disheveled mastermind and a younger sleeker more handsome jason wingard which is the disguise that he is taking now also the priest mm. and also the beefcake <gasps> all the pieces are coming together. wait a minute maybe because mastermind last we heard anyways was crazy he was in like a loony bin maybe madeline is the rebirth of phoenix and she's calling all of these imageries back because why would you try to tell the same story twice adam i could swear that mastermind is no longer wait last time mastermind was we saw mastermind was he he was driven crazy by phoenix yes He's been driven. He was driven crazy by Beast before that. Yes, he he is he, he that poor this poor man. Well, the and and the thing is, is that Beast drove him crazy in the same way that almost, but pretty much the same way that Phoenix drove him crazy by turning his illusions inward to him. So that happened twice. And as I commented back then, like this must have been a less popular story. So they just decided to do it for a wider audience in Dark Phoenix. So he came back from the Beast thing. He's apparently come back from the Phoenix thing. Uh, I hope there's some explanation as to how this happened and why this is going to happen. But we won't find out this issue. But he no. he malevolently, malevolently laughs and thinks to himself, the dear boy is quite ready, Madeline, but regrettably not in the way you think. Dun, dun, dun! And I guess you, Scott was here this whole time because uh, she walks into the living room, this beautiful living room, by the way, uh, and says, I'm home, sweetheart. So when she was talking to herself about Cyclops, he was in the house. So he could have heard her. That's true. It's a good thing he wasn't in that room. <laughs> yeah. 
And he's standing outside the window, just kind of staring off into space, probably lost in his own thoughts. Hello, lover. <laughs> yep. And Ash pulls out his chainsaw and cuts her head off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So she she pulls out a bottle of bubbly and says, let's get blitzed and fool around. And I got to be honest, when I was a kid, I was like, God, please let me have a girlfriend that pulls out some booze and says, let's fool around. <laughs> Will that happen in my life? Please let it happen. Yeah. This, this... And she sees that Scott is withdrawn within himself and she says, what's the matter? Has something happened to your dad or the X-Men? I immediately go to the worst possible conclusion. Even though I've been around you for quite a while and I know you brood a lot. <laughs> yeah. You know those characters that you told me about? Those aliens that they call the brood? I think they're just a metaphor for you. <laughs> <laughs> Brooder. So this I got to respect uh, when Scott pulls, well, actually she pulls him into her arms and he says, Madeline, I'm serious. Been wrestling with this all day. I have to know, are you the reincarnation of Jean Grey? Are you Phoenix? Because as ridiculous and as crazy as that is, it's all he's been thinking about. And rather than sit there and speculate and drive himself crazy, he just asks the question. Now, that, I feel like that he could have been a little more subtle or built up to it. I I like this direct approach because then you're not beating around the bush and you're not waiting for the right time. And by the time it's the right time, you're married, you've got some kids. And then you ask the question, it's not the right time. This is the right time. Like I could go to space. I could marry this woman. Uh, let's just ask this question. Well, here's the thing. How does he know that she knows whether or not she's the reincarnation of Jean Grey? That's a good question. She might not know. Or by being asked the question, maybe she says, huh, well, now that you mention it, yeah, I am. <laughs> I never realized it until just now. To her credit. So I gave him credit for, for being direct and like getting this out of the way before like serious decisions were made. She socks him. Yeah, she punches his lights out. And this is a this is a great panel. I mean, it is a full-on swing. Her face conveys hurt and anger and betrayal and all that stuff. And Cyclops, he's been punched before, but I don't think you've ever seen him punched like this because his body twists around, his glasses fly off, his jaw is slightly agape. I mean, he was not expecting this. And as you do when you're taken by surprise and punched with your like with with as much power as a woman could muster, you think about your situation. My active blasts fire whenever I open my eyes. Those ruby quartz lenses are the only means I have to control them. Without the glasses, I have to keep my eyes shut. I'm blind, helpless. Generally when I get punched not that I get punched a lot, let's say I get pushed. <laughs> okay. I generally think, woof. <laughs> but, yeah. oh, I better really think about where I'm going to land, because if I land at a particular angle, I might disrupt my shoulder that I bumped the other day and is kind of aching me. Well, Adam, if you were in a, it's com a comic, comic book <laughs> and you needed to remind the audience of why you wear these goofy shades in the first place, you would think these things. 
But apparently we, we learned some new information that in the off chance that this happens and Cyclops gets his glasses punched off of him, he's got like some Speedo uh, swim goggles in his pocket that are ruby quartz that he can just slip on. Yeah, which is a good idea for him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, better safe than sorry, right? Right. So safety first. So he pulls those out and he, good thing I've always got an emergency set of uh, spares. If I even open my eyes a fraction, I could wreck Madeline's house, as I easily could have her life. As I did her life. Oh, right. How could I have been such a jerk? What, I could have possessed me. I hurt Madeline as deeply as a person can be hurt, I'm assuming. I as much as told her our love is a lie, that I don't care for her, only the ghost she represents. And that's that's the only part where he's actually thinking, am I in love with Jean or am I in love with Madeline? True, I'll give you that. So it's a little late, but <laughs> at least he he actually gets it out. Yes, um, and I don't know. I mean, certainly this exact example hasn't happened, but I mean, haven't you ever been in a situation where you've dwelled on something and dwelled on something, and finally you get it out there, and then you get you don't get the response you expected? You kind of get that smack in the face, maybe figuratively more so than literally, and you're like, you know. It might be too late. Like, I may have really insulted this person, but you know what? I was kind of stupid for thinking this. But it took all of that to happen. And then you're like, oh, crap. Am I going to get this girl back? Because I really like her. (laughs) Jeremy, that's my whole life. (laughs) Well, there you go, Adam. So maybe you are the real life Scott Summers. It could be. It could be. (laughs) Uh, Well, anyways, so he gets his glasses on, opens his eyes, uh, and she's gone. We don't know where she is. He's looking for her. He wants to talk. And that's when an explosion happens from off panel. And he goes flying. And another explosion. And he goes flying again. And that's when a familiar voice. Well, it's always been a familiar voice. But familiar face comes out and says, The time for talk, lover, is over. And it's Dark Phoenix. We get a we get a full page spread of dark phoenix with her hands uh flaming or or steaming or something and scott summers is lying we can only see his legs as he's unconscious i'm pretty sure he's on fire yeah he's steaming if if he's not on fire he's he's smoldering and that's it next issue to be concluded and let me tell you folks next issue is the 20th anniversary double-sized issue so pour yourself a drink and settle in because it's gonna be a long one okay (laughs) probably not as long as last week's though no no that (laughs) was that was like two hours that was more than two hours (laughs) anyways yeah yeah so uh again no no real villain there i mean i guess obviously dark phoenix shows up at the end but but still a good connector you know tying up some loose ends adding some backstory to to all these characters who've just been fighting for like the last five or six issues those are frequently the best in my opinion yeah i i am a, a a fan of this issue i honestly i've never actually read issue number 175 or if i have i don't remember it may have been one of the uh what were the black and white marvels the essentials essentials. yeah i may have read it in essential form but those those don't stick with me for whatever reason so honestly i i i don't know how this i mean i can 
probably guess how it works out based on the issues I've read afterwards, but I don't know the exact contents of that comic. So this is going to be new for me, sort of. Hey, welcome to my world. <laughs> and uh, there you go. Uh, I don't know that we got any letters this week. We got a couple of posts from Hurricane Harold on the Facebook just saying that we're awesome and he likes our podcast and our voices are funny. Thanks, Harold. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. We always appreciate that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, so, you know, if you'd like to join in on the conversation or add your two cents or just uh, mention how awesome or maybe even you want to be like, you guys aren't awesome at all. You guys are less than awesome. Well, you can <laughs> save that for yourself and forget all of these addresses. But for the rest of you, go on out to www.xmenpodcast.com where you can find all of the episodes. You can download them from there. You can leave comments, find links to all of the other stuff that we've got. Uh, or you can go out to iTunes. You can search for Danger Room under the podcast section where the first that comes up. You can subscribe from there, leave feedback, leave a rating, what have you. We're available on Stitcher if streaming internet radio is your thing. Email us at dangerroom at redcapproductions.com or you can call us at 501-GET-X-MEN. Leave us a voice message, which, by the way, it's still a Christmas message. And, uh, you know, Christmas is right around the corner, so we're not going to change it. Yay! We we might change it after Christmas, but, you know, so don't get discouraged if you hear, like, some jingle bells. It's whatever. I don't even remember making the message. It's so old. But the point is, <laughs> is you can call and you can leave some content, and we would be more than happy to play and uh, respond to whatever it is you leave there. And you can also follow us at Danger Room Go on the Twitters. And we're also at facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast. Whew, that's a mouthful. Sure is. So do one of those things. Do all of those things. If you have a Saturday afternoon that you don't want to get back, do all of those things. It, it, you could probably do all those things in an hour, maybe less. <laughs> so it's, it's true. Uh, Adam, <clears throat> did you do any additional reading? I read Alpha Flight number three, which I'm not really going to cover. There's there are backup stories in the in the Alpha Flight, which which talks about the the origins of Alpha Flight, and they kind of touch upon wolverine which is nice but uh no not gonna do that okay uh i also read new mutants number eight i think which is uh features the the character amara for the first time oh yeah she's an amazonian princess at this point but we'll we'll learn more about her has she gotten a code name yet no okay do we know what her powers are we don't know anything about her yet we don't even know she has powers oh Carry on. And I read Defenders number 124, which has two parts. The main part of the story was about the original four Defenders uh, being held before a tribunal of kind of otherworldly beings because apparently they destroy the Earth uh, in the far, far future. Um, What's interesting about that is that these, in order to study time to figure out who it was that destroyed the earth. Uh, the tribunal created these robots called time agents, which are elves, which they thought looked like uh, human beings, but then I guess caused a lot of consternation in the elf or, or in the, in the community. Cause, and, and maybe that's what brought about the whole myth of what, what are elves and all that. 
Anyway, the only reason I bring that up is because wasn't it a bunch of elves that knew Logan's name in that issue of X-Men? I I think it was Leprechauns, to be honest. Darn it! You're right. <laughs> well, maybe they're also time agents. But but maybe they're not leprechauns. They're elves, but the X-Men are like, oh, look, we're we're in Ireland, so they must be leprechauns. Although I'm going to go with that theory. Okay, but, but I, I think they actually introduced them as leprechauns. Funny they've never made a, a reappearance in the comic. Well, in my mind, this is their explanation. <laughs> oh, okay, fair enough. They are time agents. Okay, so, I like that. I'm, That's... I'm, that, Let's go in with that. So that means that they're like, oh, let's go back in time to reveal Logan's name and then never appear again. Oh, it's a good idea. It's a good plan. Well, supposedly they're they're all over the place in time. Sure, sure. Because they're studying time in order to figure out. the. So the, these ones in uh, in Ireland just happen to also know about Logan's past. I don't know. It makes sense. Sure, sure. Um, look, they're time Somehow. agents, right? They're passing information. We know that Wolverine's like a million years old, so they're like, God, this this Logan guy is really interesting. He's just been around forever. Let's just keep so, passing this information through time. Yeah, I'm we, just happy to have an explanation for that loophole that never, never ends. Well, there you go. You heard it here first, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the other part of the issue features Beast as he's trying to collect. Um, oh, I should mention this cover features Angel on the cover. Oh, my God. And guess who's not in the issue? Angel. You got it. <laughs> That's dumb. Uh, I think he's in the next issue, though. Do they talk about him? Angel's coming, everybody. No, they don't even talk about him. I have no idea why he's in the, the this on the cover of this issue, except for the fact that he's... He, I think he, I'm pretty sure he shows up in the next issue. Okay. Because the next issue, they changed the title to the New Defenders. Ah, okay. So, um, Beast, uh, if you remember last issue, they visited Vision and Scarlet Witch and, uh, they, and Vision got attacked and whatever. It turns out that the people that attacked Vision were the, um, the Secret Empire. <gasps> Get out of here. Yeah. Sweet. And they even do a flashback back to that giant mutant wheel. Oh, awesome. Was was Scarlet Witch on the wheel? I think she was. Um, Maybe um, not. No, I think at that point they were def- uh, Avengers and they were not. Like Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, I don't think were on that wheel. Okay, anyways. So it would appear that the Defenders are now going to go after the Secret Empire to figure out why they're back. Holy crap, that's exciting, Adam. Beast uh, offers a position on the new defenders with uh, for Vision and Scarlet Witch, and they say no, and Beast is upset. <laughs> and that's pretty much Beast's and Iceman's whole part in this issue. Come on, guys. We were defenders together, or Avengers together. No. <laughs> <laughs> what he said. So that's it. Wow. Uh, Beast is pretty upset by this. His last panel features him. It's an extreme close-up, and he goes, blast, blast, blast. <laughs> no. Do they offer a reason as to why they won't join the Defenders, or are they just like, nah? Uh, I'll read it to you. Oh. Um, we are private citizens now, Hank, and aside from our status as Avengers reservists, we wish to remain that way. Vision and I left the Avengers to build a life for ourselves as man and wife, not superheroes. 
man or uh, robot and wife. <laughs> I'm sorry, Hank, but the subject is closed. And they slam the door. Hmm. Well, Adam, uh, I know that our fans have probably been wondering something. We've, we've been talking a lot lately about uh, Friday the 13th. And I just wanted to mention to everybody that, that I have watched the first half of Crystal Lake Memories, the oh, oh. the uh, I believe close to eight, if not nine, hour documentary. <laughs> yeah, on, I had to watch it in several parts. In Friday, yeah, it, it, it is. Uh, uh, it, it's based on the book that I read. So basically, I'm I'm watching what I've already read, but it's interesting to see the, all the people that played Jason, and then all of the kids that were killed back as adults uh talking about their experiences on the set so i guess it's just putting faces with words that that i've already read and of course they show a ton of footage right so that's always fun so yeah it's good it's fun did you get to the the one with that obnoxious kid that grows up to be a superstar no Corey Corey Haim or Feldman? Oh, yeah. That's uh, Friday the 13th Part 4. The best, in my opinion, of the Fridays. That guy, uh, we, we, we uh, at the the comic convention that I was at recently, that guy was there, and he told that that story again. Wait, Corey Feldman? No, no. Um, the guy who played Jason. Oh, uh, Ari Lehman. Lehman, right? No. No? no? Oh, no. uh... uh um, okay, Ari Lehman was the guy who played the kid Jason in the first Friday the 13th that pulls her under the water. Right. And for some reason, like, he had 30 seconds in that movie, and apparently he's, like, a big draw at all the cons, <laughs> even <laughs> though he had 30 seconds of total screen time. And I think he milks it for all it's worth. I can't remember the guy who played the actual Jason, but, yeah, uh, I, I do he know what you're talking about. He was an older fellow and he told a lot of stories in that film that you're watching and he told a lot of the stories in person and they're much better in person. Something... And he told some jokes and stuff and he's, he's, he's a really charming, uh, I was going to say young man, but old man. Something Booker, I think was his name. Does that sound right? T.J. Booker. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, anyways. So there you go. If you guys uh, out there even have a passing interest uh, or fancy... Friday the 13th for any reason or or honestly if you don't want to watch those old movies but you're curious about what they're all about this would be a good documentary to pick up and watch I've never seen a single Friday the 13th movie except for Jason X which you're... I I love Jason X anyway um but I liked this documentary quite a bit You 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 haven't seen I've not seen a single one Holy moly except so... for Jason X when I Jason X is a fantastic movie. It it totally underrated. I think I saw the best one to be honest. Um uh, Oh, and I I saw Freddy versus Jason. Yeah, and that was uh that was fun. That was fun. Yeah. yeah it was fun. But see, by the time you get to Jason X and um Freddy versus Jason, they're so tongue in cheek uh yeah, and, and yeah. making fun of the genre and everything that they are good on that level. But if you go to the series proper, and honestly, my feeling is that the series proper ends at Jason Takes Manhattan, which is terrible. Uh, <laughs> and the one prior to it, there's like a psychic woman or whatever, telekinesis. That one's also terrible. 
Uh, but part four with Corey Feldman is really good as far as like character development. Uh, Crispin Glover was in that from, from back to the future. Uh, good acting for a Friday the 13th movie. Good, good character development. And Tom Savini does the effects for that. And the effects really, really work uh, in that one. Um, oh, yeah, he was there too. Two, three, five, six, and seven, uh, and eight are are just like more of the same, shoveling it onto the fire. But, <laughs> anyways, there you go. Watch it; it's good. When I was a kid, Adam, uh, if you got time for just one more quick anecdote, we were so into Friday the Thirteenth. I mean, this is prior to me meeting you. Like we would, uh, it was like fifth grade, and we'd all talk about like Freddie and Jason, how awesome they were. And I was like, yeah, 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 they are awesome. But I'd never seen one of these movies. <laughs> but I was like, I was aware of what Jason was because I think there was trailers and such. And you knew there was like a hockey mask killer and there's a movie called Friday the 13th. And they were scary and they were sort of like uh, forbidden, like you weren't supposed to watch those as a kid. But like all of my friends claimed that they had watched them. So I remember bamboozling my mom into renting me Friday the 13th. And all the whole time I'm waiting for Jason, waiting for Jason, waiting for Jason. Of course, <laughs> we all know I'm not spoiling anything because that movie was made in like 1978 or 80 or whatever. Jason's not Jason and there's no hockey mask. So then I get the second one and I was like, oh, Jason, Jason, it's a guy in a potato sack mask. And you're like, what the hell? Where's the mask? <laughs> you get it in the third one. But those movies scared the crap out of me. Like I would watch them and then I would have nightmares for weeks after. But I kept going back and be like, mom, will you get me Friday the 13th part five? And she was like, yeah. And then I would watch it and I would just have terrible nightmares. And I'd keep doing it. And I did the same thing with the with the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Rented all those. Got scared the crap out of me. And I kept going back. I just, I just remember it like months upon months of nightmares. I watched um, Unfriended recently. I Is that about Facebook? It's, it's, a, it's a social media horror film. And it's hilarious. Is it, a, is it about a guy who goes crazy after he gets unfriended? <laughs> sort of uh not directly nobody gets unfriended oh okay. so the title is a bit of a misnomer it's it's as bad as it sounds but it's worth <laughs> seeing just because of how silly it is okay that that sounds silly it's it's entertaining and it's there are some parts that are kind of scary the 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 gore that the gory deaths in it are totally cheesy and terrible um but it's an interesting concept hmm Oh, and I know everybody's wondering, and I still haven't seen the Rogue Cut. Oh, Adam, we gotta we gotta make a plan. Yeah, because I, I gotta watch it again because I, I I forget which parts are are which. Um, we'll do it, man. We'll do it. Wasn't there a TV show like a bunch of years ago called Freaky Links, in which people had to solve internet murder mysteries by going onto the internet? Wasn't that a uh, series? Yeah, I bet it was. Okay. I I don't know nothing about that, but the Freaky Links name sounds familiar. Okay. I think, I think there were some movies that also tried to capitalize on internet horror things. The whole movie takes place over Skype. Yeah. It's an interesting concept. Yeah. Much like this podcast takes place completely over Skype. That's true. Yeah. All right. Well, that's been the movie portion of X-Men Danger Room, <laughs> the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. Join us next week when we talk all about the Godfather trilogy. <laughs> Right, I, I I guess we could. I don't know very much about it, but I could get prepared by next week. <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, we'll put that in our back pocket if we run out of things to talk about. <laughs> in the meantime, until next week, the danger room is closed. No.
Nobody else. Nobody else. Nobody else. Nobody else.